the Jaguar, five. He disappeared. The strange man, the one with the CBCK tattoo across his collarbone? Wheeler followed him into that abandoned townhouse. She watched him melt into the living room wall. Fall, actually, his foot peeking out onto the hardwood. Fuck's sake, what happened to you? Somebody on the other side said. Fucking bitch sprayed me. He pulled his foot over the border. You found her? Yeah, but... And then the opening closed up, and it was just a wall again. Wheeler scoured the place, but it was just an abandoned townhouse. The rooms were bare, the windows cracked, mold in the ceiling. The basement door was locked, and no matter how many times she tried to ram it with her shoulder, it wouldn't open. Her foot was killing her anyway. Probably busted a few toes. She limped back across the street and picked up the strange man's bat, making sure to hold it by the leather strap, then limped all the way home. It was one in the morning by the time she got back. Exhausted, she collapsed into bed and fell right to sleep. The next morning, two of her toes, her pinky and the one next to it, had swollen to the size of sausages. She couldn't even put her full weight on that foot, let alone walk. It was her day off, but she didn't want to sit around by herself. If she did that, she'd start thinking about the letter, the hospital visit, and she wasn't ready to do that yet. What she needed was a distraction. So she popped a few ibuprofen and showered and went to work. Normally she liked to walk, but that wasn't going to happen with a busted up foot. But there was a bus stop on the corner. She stopped at the front door on the way out, eyeballing the cricket bat she left leaning against the closet. What the hell, she thought, and took it with her. A thick envelope was sitting on her keyboard when she gimped into the precinct. She sighed as she sat down, happy to get off her feet, and put the cricket bat on her desk. Then she opened the envelope. Holy shit, Dell came through. She filtered through the contents. Hospital reports. Dozens of them. Hospital reports that contained every and any mention of an animal attack within a 10-mile square radius of the old mill. She spread them out all over her desk and took a deep breath. It was going to be a long morning. What are you doing here? It was Pena, just getting to work. Detecting? On your day off? When she didn't answer, he leaned over his desk to see what she was reading. 1091s? Good eye. I didn't know you could read. Is this about the mill? Wheeler grunted, trying to focus. Pena pulled a different manila envelope out of his bag and tossed it to her. It skidded across the surface, took out a few pens, and landed in her lap. Thanks, Pena. You gonna read it? Depends on what it is. Reports. I gathered that. Of animal attacks. No shit, Pena, really? You seem to think it was important. It is important, thank you. She cleared room for it, uncovering the cricket bat. No problem. And then he pointed at the bat. Is that? And he hurried around to her side. Where did you get that? Um, do you know what that is? A cricket bat? A cricket? Can I? No, it's evidence. Then why haven't you dropped it off at the lab? I'm going to. When? Later. She tried to ignore him by opening the reports, but he hovered there, inspecting the thing. You can pick it up by the strap, she said. Yeah, I know. He pulled it off her desk, taking more papers and pens with it. Thanks again, she said, leaning over to pick it all up. <whistles> this is a Makuahuitl. It's pretty old, too. Family heirloom? He didn't dignify the remark with a response. Where'd you get it? B&E. When? She looked up from her reading. Are you going to let me get to work? Fine, fine. He rested the weapon against her desk. Better get that down to evidence. She kept her eyes on the report. Okay, fine. I'll leave you alone. Pena didn't just leave her alone. He left his desk altogether, mumbling something about a meeting. Wheeler read and took notes until lunch. 
then took a break to bring the bat down to evidence and grab some carryout from the Chinese place around the corner. She plunked her lunch in the corner of her desk and sat down. The precinct computers were almost a decade old, and even though she left hers on when she went out, it had crashed by the time she got back. She turned it on again and let it go through its updates, and by the time the OS finally loaded and all the background functions stopped, she'd finished eating. She cleaned off her desk, gave it a cursory wipe down with the palm of her hand, and spread out Dell's reports. After reading a few of them, she opened up the Maps app and started in, plotting each canine attack with a red marker and each non-mammal attack. There were a disturbing amount of snake bites recorded, with a green marker. When she finished, the screen was covered in red and green with no discernible pattern or cluster, no radiating circles, nothing that resembled any kind of organization at all. Shit, she said. She leaned back in her chair and stretched, the bones in her shoulders and elbows popping and cracking. <sighs> Gonna have to stop hunching over that desk. The interdepartmental phone rang, and she picked it up. Wheeler! She listened to the voice on the other end. None at all? No, he didn't have any gloves on. I'm sure. Because I was there? All right, thanks. She hung up. No prints. No prints on the Makua whatever. Maybe he shaved them down? The clock on the screen read 2.16. On a hunch, she filtered through Pena's police reports, looking for the one on the mill. She searched the entire stack twice, first flipping through, looking for a last name, then more carefully, organizing them by date. It wasn't there. The report of the mill hadn't been filed. She picked up the phone and punched in a few numbers. Hey, Steph, Wheeler. I'm good. Listen, can you get a hold of a trooper for me? Last name is Kowalczyk. First name's Stan, I think. He responded to a 187 two days ago, and I don't have his report yet. Yeah, I'll be here, thanks. She hung up and turned her attention back to the screen. How else could she think about this? She set up a filter to eliminate any of the attacks that happened the month before. Nearly all of them disappeared, all except for two clusters, one in the bottom and one in the industrial section. Good. She filtered out any that happened two days ago, and the clusters tightened, one centered around her neighborhood and the other over the mill. She applied one last filter, this one to allow only attacks that occurred over a month before. All of the markers in her neighborhood and over-the-mill warehouse disappeared. Bingo. Now she had a timeline. The phone rang, making her jump a little. She picked up the receiver. Wheeler! Oh, hey, Steph. She listened for a moment, then said, How long? Kowalczyk lived in a predictably working-class neighborhood across the bridge in southeast. Almost a century before, it was a thriving area. Property values were solid, families built equity, schools were top-notch, and that was before the triple punch of recession, globalization, and tech robbed people of their production jobs. In short, after the last time the economy collapsed, businesses turned once and for all to AI and automation, cutting thousands of jobs and outsourcing the rest. Most of the dwellings in the area, the row houses, single-family homes, brownstones, redstones, graystones, were barely maintained. Dilapidated fences lined overgrown lawns, roofs drooped over listing porches, Concrete stoops cracked, iron-gated doors rusted. The only thing that wasn't dirty or in need of repair were the American flags hanging on outrigger poles. They shifted in the gentle breeze. The next thing Wheeler noticed when she got out of her cruiser was the silence. A few cars passed by. In the distance, she heard honking horns, the rattle of construction, a boom as a truck drove over a plate in the road. But everything in front of her, the sidewalks, the porches, the tiny squares of lawn, was empty. Family still lived there public servants mainly, police, firefighters, social workers, 
At three o'clock in the middle of the summer, the streets should have been thrumming. Children playing pickup games, mothers gathering together, sipping iced coffee. Where were they? She checked the address on her phone. 1308 South Avenue, Southeast. There it was. Two doors down to her left. Two levels and an unfinished basement. Kowalczyk probably drank beer on the porch, listening to the game with his buddies. Budweiser and an igloo cooler. An old-fashioned transistor radio. The iron grate rattled when she knocked on the frame of the Kowalczyk's front door, echoing in the empty neighborhood. She waited a beat, looking down the street to her left and right. Still nothing. Nobody. She knocked again and tried the handle. Locked. She rang the doorbell a few times, not expecting anything, then went over to the windows to her right and put her forehead up to the glass, shading her eyes with her hands. She didn't see anything unusual. The outline of chairs and lamps, a hutch, stairs to the left. She caught movement in the reflection like something was sneaking up behind her, and she gasped and spun around, hand reaching for her gun. Crap. It was just the flag, flapping as a hot gust blew dead leaves and trash down the gutters. Calm down, Wheeler. You're spooking yourself. When she turned around, a woman was staring at her from the other side of the window. Jesus! The woman was pale and sweating, hugging a thin, rumpled robe to her slouching frame. Deep, dark pouches hung under her glassy eyes, and her hair was plastered to her forehead. But that wasn't what Wheeler focused on. What she focused on was the tumor, the size of a softball, pushing out of the woman's neck. Ma'am, I'm sorry, I, I didn't think there was anybody home. The woman stared dead-eyed at her for a second, then turned and disappeared back into the house. Wait, Wheeler said, banging on the pane. Hey! She peered into the window again, cupping her hands around her eyes. The woman was walking up the stairs with slow, even strides, that blank expression still on her face. Wheeler banged again. Ma'am? Hey, Mrs. Kowalczyk, I'm... Damn. She tried the iron barred door one last time, but all it did was rattle. Those things were built to keep people out. What were her options? She could break the window, which was questionably legal. Shooting the lock only worked in movies. There was a door on the side of the house, so she limped around to it, barely registering the pain in her foot. It was locked, so to the back it was. The backyard was littered with children's toys. Footballs, baseballs, dolls, big wheels. She cussed as she tripped over a tricycle on the way to the screened-in deck and had to take a moment before she could walk again. Damn, that hurt. But the screen door was unlocked. So was the back door to the house. She gagged when she stepped inside. Something was rotting somewhere. Again with the rotting. The kitchen looked like it hadn't been remodeled since 1954. White fridge with rounded edges, gas range, two sinks, no dishwasher, no microwave. When she saw the puddle of yellow bile lying on the floor outside the cellar door, she pulled her gun out of her shoulder holster and tried to breathe through her mouth. She crept over and, making sure to step around it, was about to try the handle when she saw the nails someone had pounded through the door and into the jam. They were crooked and cockeyed, overlapping each other as if the job had been completed in a hurry. Then she saw the dent in the middle of the door, like something had tried to punch its way out. She backed away. The floorboards overhead squeaked, followed by the sound of a door closing. A few seconds later, she heard the pipes groan and the shower start to run. She moved to the bottom of the stairs, aiming the gun up. Ma'am, she called. Mrs. Kowalczyk? I'm Detective Wheeler, CPD. I work with your husband? The window unit kicked on and Wheeler thought she heard something behind her again. She whipped the gun around, but it was only one of the curtains blowing in the living room. Another door closed above and she whipped back around to the stairs. She was going to have to go up there. She winced every other step, the wood creaking as she climbed. At the top, she turned and found herself looking down a short hall. The bathroom was immediately to her right. Three bedroom doors lined the hallway, all of them closed. A child's drawing was taped to the one at the end, a blobby brown shape. 
The one on the left had a state college football pen attacked to it. Wheeler checked the rooms, but they were empty. Beds unmade, toys scattered on the floor. The other door, the one that had to belong to Mr. and Mrs. Kowalczyk, was locked from inside. After jogging the handle a few times, Wheeler turned to the bathroom. Steam poured out from under the crack. She knocked. Ma'am? The shower continued to run. Mrs. Kowalczyk, are you okay? She waited. Ma'am, I'm coming in. A wall of fog poured out when she opened the door, shrouding everything, but it quickly cleared. A double sink, a toilet. The shower curtain had been drawn tight. Behind it stood a motionless shadow. Mrs. Kowalczyk? The shadow didn't move. Can you hear me? Wheeler reached out and pinched the edge of the curtain. A drop of sweat ran down her face. She let out a short breath. Just do it. She yanked the curtain aside. Mrs. Kowalczyk stood there facing her naked, a straight razor gripped in her hand. Her shoulder had been mauled, leaving an open wound so raw and ragged that a flap of flesh hung limp against her arm. The bone was clearly visible, the flesh purple and black up to her neck, out of which bulged the tumor. Water rushed over the wound, cleaning it out, sending an endless flood of blood down the woman's arm and side. It had to be painful, but she didn't even blink. I'm going to call an ambulance, Wheeler said. You'll be okay, I'm... Mrs. Kowalczyk mumbled something. What? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Don't. Ma'am, don't call. Shocked by the outburst, Wheeler said nothing. He said it was just a headache, that he just needed to lie down. I'm, I'm sorry, your husband? Mrs. Kowalczyk nodded. Do you know where he is? I let him sleep until dinner. It was so unlike him. Stanley's usually up doing something, working on the yard or that stupid car in the garage. Wheeler blinked water out of her eyes. The heat and the steam pressed down on her. Mrs. Kowalczyk, I just want you to put the razor down, okay? Can you do that? I didn't start to worry until I put the kids to bed. It was a hard night. Mark was being difficult and Marcy wouldn't eat her broccoli. I thought he must have been down with the flu or something, something he caught from work, but it's summer. Wheeler knew she was going to have to wrestle the blade out of the woman's hand, either that or shoot her in the arm. She took a step to the left to get a better angle. A faint smile crossed Mrs. Kowalczyk's lips. I know what you're doing. It won't work. Let's get out of the shower, okay? We can go downstairs and talk. I should have known something was wrong. When I opened our bedroom door, I should have known. Stanley snores like an elephant, but he was totally silent this time. For a second, I thought he'd gone out to his workshop, his big screens out there, and his recliner. He smokes cigars. He thinks I don't know, but I do. Then I flipped on the light and saw it. She let out a shuddery breath her tears mingling with the water from the shower head. His face. His face. A pit formed in Wheeler's stomach. Mrs. Kowalczyk, where are the children? The woman finally looked her in the eye. Don't go in the basement. Then she brought the razor up to her neck. Wheeler went into the basement. She already knew it was down there. After that, she went into two more houses before finally calling for backup. Later, after all of the houses had been checked, and after emptying the contents of her stomach out onto the street, Wheeler washed out her mouth with an old bottle of water that had been in her cruiser for about a week. Twenty-six. Twenty-six dead. Men, women, children, all of them with holes in different parts of their bodies, as if something had exploded from within. Most were in their sides, their legs, and their arms. A few had them in their backs or stomachs, just like the junkies in the mill. Only these weren't junkies. They were teachers, city clerks, therapists, families. Kowalczyk was the worst. His face had burst open, 
leaving an empty cavity where the front of the skull should have been. She remembered what happened at the mill. He said the yellow stuff went up his nose. Did he die fast, or did he know what was happening to him? She couldn't fathom what it was like. The tumor swelling, the pressure in his head, his skull cracking, splitting. That he was an asshole, there was no doubt. But even assholes didn't deserve to die like that. The press had already arrived and set up on the perimeter, the blues more forceful than usual in keeping them and the gawkers at bay. Some of their own had gone down. It wasn't funny. It never was. Pena showed up. They watched as the coroners loaded body bag after body bag into their vans. Where were you? She asked. Paperwork. I heard it got pretty rough. Cops family? Yeah, one of them. That guy from the mill, Kowalczyk. You all right? Fuck off. One of the blues told me you lost your lunch. Didn't want it anyway. He leaned up against the car next to her, folding his arms over his chest. I think you should see Psyche. Fine. No, you're not, Wheeler. You're not fine. You were bad enough before this, but witnessing a suicide? Do me a favor and shut up, okay, Pena? He held out his hands in surrender. Okay, okay. The news outlets caught the action with their own cameras. Pointlessly, she thought, as there were ten times as many civilians filming it on their video viewers and posting it for the whole world to see. You hear the single corp bought out the city's IT servers? Pena said. Wheeler glared at him, and he shrugged. Just trying to make conversation. One of the coroners stumbled while wheeling a body down the front steps of a house to their right, and the bag fell off and landed in a forsythia. The crowd let up a gasp as dozens of viewers zoomed in on it. The scene supervisor started chewing out the kid who spilled the corpse, and he and his partner struggled to get the body bag up into the gurney. Pena chuckled. Lead investigator's gonna love that. How's your foot? Wheeler frowned. She hadn't thought about it. She put her weight on her toes. Huh. They still hurt, but nowhere near as much as before. Maybe they'd only been sprained. Good, she said. All right, well, get it together. We gotta go. Where to this time? More bodies in the bottom. Same description. We're on it. I'll drive. I'm on this one? It's my day off. That's the thing, Pena said. Whoever called it in? Get in the car. I'll play it for you on the way over. Wheeler listened to the message three times. It started with a burst of static, old radio sounds winding up and down the frequency spectrum. A distorted voice in the background was yelling, but she couldn't hear exactly what it said. Then she heard her name. Wheeler! Pena said, how many times do you need to shh? More static, more whining. Then the voice came through again. The number of the apartment building, the street name, then, is key. Girls, use the key. One last burst of static, and finally the voice came in, clear and undistorted. What are you waiting for? Wheeler put her phone down. Weird, huh? Pena said. You recognize that voice? Wheeler did. It was the woman in her dreams, the witch in the dungeon. No, she said. Whoever it is, she knows you. Or not. Could be some old kook looking for attention. Or something worse. It was starting to get dark by the time they pulled up to the apartment building, a turn-of-the-century brownstone with a bar at street level and two floors above it. A single patrol car idled at the curb. The officer sat inside, enjoying the air conditioning and filling out some paperwork. Wheeler went up to the cruiser and tapped on the window. The officer glanced up. Can't help you, lady, he said, and went back to his work. She knocked again, holding the badge hanging from the chain on her neck. Roll it down, officer. His eyes went wide and hit the power window button. Oh, geez, sorry, detective. Are you the only one here? Yeah, lots of calls tonight. Full moon. City's gone nuts. We're spread pretty thin. Okay, well, what's going on here? Uh, three bodies, second floor above the bar. You clear it? 
Yeah, talked to the bartender, too. He didn't know about any renters. Said that there hasn't been any for months. The officer's radio went off with a burst, and he turned his head to listen to it. I I got another call. Go ahead. The bar was full but not crowded. Typical bottom joint. Shotgun deep, scuffed hardwood floors, popcorn machine at the end. The bar took up half the place, with just enough room for the patrons to squeeze by or stand along the wall. Speakers anchored into each corner of the ceiling played classic rock hits. Hendrix, CCR, The Beatles. It smelled like booze and popcorn, with an undercurrent of wood soap and bleach. The bartender was chatting with a few old-timers at the other end while he filled up empty bowls with popcorn. He was in the late side of 40, with short salt-and-pepper hair and a square chin. The tight white t-shirt he wore tucked into his blue jeans made him look like a sailor, the muddled tattoo on his forearm adding to the effect. Wheeler thought he might have scowled when he saw them walking in, but then she realized that was just how his face rested. He put the bag of popcorn down and wiped his hands on the back of his jeans. You hear about the dead kids? The old-timer shared a look and turned around on their stools to lean back against the bar. Yeah, Wheeler said. Good, because it's starting to stink. Bad for business. Do you know anything about what happened? I already told the other guy everything I know. Well, good, now you can tell us. He leaned in the bar, flexing his triceps. You remind me of my daughter. Great. Was this some kind of twisted pickup? She's tough. I'm proud of that kid. He glanced over at Pena, then back at her. What do you want to know? They peppered him with questions. No, he didn't hear anything strange. No, he'd never seen them before. He didn't know anything about what happened until he noticed the smell. It's worse back there, he said, nodding at the end of the building. The popcorn covers it up pretty good for now. You let them marinate anymore, though. They'll leak through the ceiling. Do you own the building? Pena asked. The bartender scoffed. Me? No, I can barely afford the rent. Owner lives out of state. Send him a check every month. Never seen him. Don't fix nothing, neither. He rent the upstairs? Up until last year. Tenants left. Don't blame him. Place is a dump. Leaky pipes, drafty windows. I've had to chase a few squatters out since then. Kids like to come in from the burbs to potty. I called it in at first, but nobody came by, so I stopped. Yeah, Pena said. We're a little busy. Guess so. Isn't it locked? Wheeler asked. Yep. Well, how do they get in? How do they always get in? Wheeler entered the apartment first. It was dark and musty, with blankets tacked up over the only two windows, and a few pieces of overturned lawn furniture scattered about the cracked hardwood floor. The drywall on the ceiling had been torn out, exposing the joists, copper wires, and PVC piping. A few ragged scraps of old insulation hung down from it like tongues. A stairway, leading up, separated the room from the kitchen. The bodies lay in various positions, two curled up next to each other one alone near the door jam. Same scene as before. Three burst tumors, puddles of yellow stuff on the ground. Drug paraphernalia lay scattered on the floor. Vials, lighters, spoons. She squatted down to get a better look. Two girls and a guy. The girls were heavily made up. High heels, tight-fitting dresses. The boy wore designer jeans and expensive boots. All three had what looked like hearing aids in their ears. Single-corp cochlear connects. Wheeler saw something metal flash through a rip in the boy's shirt. He's got a brace, she said. Barrel arm biceps, I think. Net implants, body mods, Pena said. Rich kids. Wheeler took a flashlight from her jacket pocket and shined it on the boy's hand. There was a wet mass gripped in it, with coarse black hair sticking out of fleshy pulp. The hair stuck into his palm like needles. Looks like he fought back. Tried to. Tore something off whatever did this. Whoever did this, you mean. Wheeler grunted. The hair is thick, like knitting needles. 
She poked at the dead boy's palm. Don't. We've got to wait for the text to get here. Which ones? They're all tied up. She put her flashlight between her teeth and pulled the boy's sleeve up over the metal brace. Wheeler, Pena warned. I'm just getting a better look. I haven't seen one of these barrel arm things up close yet, have you? No. Check this out. Pena squatted down next to her, reluctantly interested. Is it bolted into his arm? No, look. She pointed at the metal exoskeleton. It really is just a brace. Strong as hell, but still just a brace. The harness is up here over his shoulders, and it runs down here to the glove. And he just slips it on, huh? Yep. They adjust for your comfort. Expensive. And this is the budget version, Wheeler said. For $4,000 extra, they'll make it look like a part of your body. 10% off if you use your Cochlear Connects to buy it. How do you know so much about this shit? Saw an infomercial. Something banged on the floor above them. Both Wheeler and Pena stood up with a jolt. Christ, Wheeler said. Fucking Blue didn't check the upstairs. Another bang, this time hard enough to shake dirt into their eyes. Pena took his gun out of his shoulder holster, staring at the subfloor above. Doesn't sound like it. Wheeler shined her flashlight at the doorway leading to the stairs. A wet yellow trail glinted off the floor. Oh shit, Pena, look. What the fuck is that? What the fuck do you think it is? Pena aimed his gun at the subfloor above and squeezed off around. The pounding stopped. They watched and waited, breathless. Then the pounding renewed, louder and more violent this time, cracking the joists, shaking the whole apartment. Both Pena and Wheeler fired at will over and over, but the pounding continued until a hole formed in the wood. A taloned hand, green-gray, shot through it and ripped out the rest of the boards, one huge chunk at a time. Then a monstrous mouth appeared, all teeth and gaping black hole, and it loosed a roar that deafened their ears. The detectives aimed for it and fired, bullets chipping the teeth, thunking into meat, but it just seemed to enrage the beast more. It shoved its way through the floor, carving rivulets in its rubbery skin, and landed on all fours in the middle of the room, right on top of the dead boy, severing his arm from his body and cutting off their exit. I'm out, Pena yelled. Window! Pena tore the blanket down, letting the muted light of the street lamps enter the room. He was just about to kick the glass when the beast ripped him around and plunged its talons into his stomach. Wheeler fired into its back, stepping closer, emptying her clip. But even though the bullets riddled his torso and arms and legs, and even though it went down to one knee, it didn't let go of her partner. It lashed around at her with its free arm and connected. The force was unbelievable. She went flying back into the wall, her gun clattering off somewhere into the darkness. Momentarily free, the beast sank its teeth into Pena's neck and tore out his throat. Wheeler shook off the blow and scrambled around for her gun but couldn't find it. She did, however, find the dead boy's severed arm poking halfway out of the barrel arm biceps brace. She looked around for the monster. It was hunched over her partner's dead body, gorging itself on his stomach. She was momentarily forgotten. Getting the brace off was more difficult than she thought. It was so tight that she thought it might actually be bolted into the bone. But after a tense minute of pulling and straining, it slipped off. She put her arm into it like she was putting on a jacket. There was a power button on the back of the glove. And when she pushed it, a little mechanical sound wound up and the brace tightened, snug but comfortable. Wheeler turned around to face the thing that had killed her partner. It was still eating, its back turned to her. She walked stealthily up behind it and raised her fist over her head. The brace, sensing the action, whirred to life. She felt the energy, the power of it surged through the metal. When the noise reached its peak, she brought her fist down and slammed the monster in the back. It collapsed on top of Pena with a canine whelp. Wheeler brought her arm up over her head again, making the fist, waiting for the brace to power up. But as she did, the monster flipped over, its chest mouth wide open, a stinger shot out. She dodged, and the next thing she knew, she was flying out the window. We're running out of time. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Don't forget to check out LilithFilm.com, JamesKnoll.net forward slash BG, and you can support this show for as little as $1 on Patreon.com. It's Patreon.com forward slash Tales. You guys rock. I'll see you next week. Day.